Amen. Glad you're here tonight. Glad you made the effort to be here tonight. Have you ever heard people talking about living in victory? Sometimes folks talk about that or living the victorious life. There's books written about that. There's Bible studies all about that. Living the victorious life or, or living as a Christian in victory. What does that even mean? Is that even possible? When they're talking about that, what are they talking about? And then in your Christian walk, your walk as a believer, do you ever feel frustrated or sometimes conflicted or maybe discouraged and, and sometimes even defeated? Uh, let me ask the question, how does that add up? When people talk about uh, your best life now and walking in victory and living the victorious life, how does that add up with the reality that sometimes we're discouraged or even defeated as we try to walk as followers of Jesus Christ. Tonight, we're going to resume our Bible study. We've got a, uh, about 10 more weeks or so to go. Uh, this is the third week. It is entitled Highway, uh, How-Tos on the Highway to Heaven. Uh, it is talking about our life from the point that we've trusted Jesus Christ and the point that we spend eternity with Christ in heaven. Uh, the days of our life or the, the journey that we're on as followers of Jesus Christ. How do we live between the point that we put our faith in Christ and then uh, the time that we're going to be with Christ in heaven? Uh, the analogy, there's a book that goes along with it. It's out in the foyer. You can grab it on the way out if you already do not have one. The analogy of the book or the analogy of the study is driving a car or taking a trip, making a journey. And that's the analogy uh, that ties into our Christian walk. Well, tonight the question is, and again, every week uh, I think it's very relevant. Every week is very timely. Each week is going to build on the next week, and we're going to get to some awesome stuff coming up, but I, I think tonight is awesome as well. And tonight the question is, what will empower us for living the Christian life? How are we going to do the things that it takes? What's going to be our fuel for living as a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, going to the analogy, if you're traveling in a car, you're taking a trip in a car, a car by nature, by design, does not, cannot run without fuel. That is how the car is built. That is the purpose of the car. It needs fuel to push on. It needs fuel to continue on. Now, let me just tell you, as I was thinking about that, you can try and operate it without gas. And I was thinking, you know what? You could get behind your car and push your car. And you could get a couple folks and you could push your car. And, and you know what? You'll make your way down the road. You can push your car by hand. Let me tell you this. It will be slow. You will be frustrated. Uh, you will get tired. You may feel defeated. I think about four or five feet. I think, well, this isn't ever going to work. I'm not ever going to get anywhere. And you will wear out trying to push your car. Um, it's not built to operate that way. It is built to take fuel, combustible the fuel, and, and to be driven along running on its fuel. What if I were to say, you know what? And, and maybe I were to say it tonight. We're going to go to Dallas. Uh, we've got a great trip planned to Dallas, and it's going to be an awesome trip uh, we're going to go to a steakhouse, and we're going to eat steaks and all the stuff that goes with that. We're going to go watch the Cowboys play, and we're going to spend time there. We've got some other stops on our trip, uh, and it's going to be a great trip. And you know what? Get three or four of your friends, and it is going to be this awesome trip 
to Dallas. And you say, man, I'm ready for that. What a great time that's going to be. And we were to roll out of the parking lot. Hey, let's go. We're going to Dallas. Got a great trip planned. And what if I were to say, okay, now y'all get behind this car and we're going to push it to Dallas. I would push it, but somebody has to steer this thing. And so if y'all will push it, we'll make the trip to Dallas. I don't think we'd probably get out of the parking lot. Some, some may push us and get out of the parking lot. I don't think we'd get out of the parking lot. That's not how the car is built. That's not how it's supposed to operate. Well, for us as followers of Christ, the analogy is we are making this trip. We are on this journey. Well, what is going to be our fuel? What is going to empower us for the Christian life? Now, I want to stop right here. I did this a couple weeks ago. And I want to just tell you, this, this study, study could be a very radical study for you. Um, it could be an uncomfortable study for you. It could be a confrontational study for you. This study really, and, and this is what I said the very first week, is for people who are tired of normal. Uh, I don't know why, but people love normal. You ever notice that? They want you to be normal. They try to be normal. And normal is the, is the level that we try to operate at. People love their normal. People will defend their normal. I've noticed that. You know what? This is the way I did it. My granddaddy did it this way. This is the way we're going to do it. They will defend their normal. They will fight you and get upset about normal. You know what? We're going to change the timing. You know what? We're going to change the order. And people say, you know what, that's not, that's not ever going to work. They will fight you and be upset over their normal. Well, here's the question that I asked a few weeks ago. So how is normal working for you? Look at our world. Look at our lives. Look how things are going. Look at the events of the last few weeks. How is normal working for you? And so let me just tell you, this, this Bible study could be a, a radical thing for you, a radical change for you. Uh, if you're serious about saying, you know what, I've had enough of normal and, and I want to do something different. So there could be some big changes that, that come into your life that, that, is, that are required in your life. And so I want you to be ready for that. So I want to just say that as we continue in our study. This is not a Bible study for folks that say, I'm content. It's okay. I like it. I like our nation. I like our, our world. I like the division. I like the fighting. I like the, cra the, the crazy chaos in our homes. If you're fine with that, uh, then you're not going to like this Bible study. But to fully participate, you may have to change uh, some uncomfortable things in your life. All right, back to our study. So a car must have fuel. Well, uh, our cars, most of them, have fuel gauges that work. Some of them don't. Uh, but we have fuel gauges that work. And I'll just tell you, if you have much sense, you would not keep going if your gauge was on zero. Now, especially if you actually thought you were making a trip. Now, if you, you know, I'm not, I'm not too worried about two blocks from my house. But if you were setting out on a trip, if your gauge was on zero, it doesn't do any good to say, it's going to be cheaper in Wichita Falls. They have full service at that one place. They'll fill it up for me. It'd be nice. I was figuring out it'd be nice if I could get to Wichita Falls because then I could get on down to somewhere else. If your car is on zero, you would not say, I've got to keep going. If it shows no fuel, guess what? You're going to stop and you're going to take care of that. 
Well, in your Christian life, let me talk about the gauges that we have. In your Christian walk, okay, you're walking as a follower of Jesus Christ, there are some indicators about your fuel tank. And we're going to talk about what our fuel is here in a minute, but there are some indicators, some gauges that will help you know where you're at in your, in your fuel tank in your Christian walk. Let me give you a couple of those. First thing is this, your attitude. Your attitude reflects the level of fuel in your fuel tank. And, and I know people that, that, that you know what, they're, they're depressed, um, they're mad, they're upset, they're negative, and there's folks that you say, you know what, it's your birthday, we've got a great big cake and a steak over here, and they say, well, you know what, I didn't want to get a year older. And, and you say, well, how about this, and this is good, and they say, well, I don't like that either. Your attitude is a pretty good gauge of, of where you're at in your Christian walk. Your thoughts, and I, I was thinking about this, one of the things that we can be maybe fooling other people in are our thoughts. And you know what, I can smile, and if you see me, I'm walking up here and I've got this Bible, and man, he looks like he's gonna, he's gonna smile and do all the right things. And in my thoughts, I could be thinking, you know what, you're not worth two cents, and I don't know what's wrong with you, and I wish I'd never seen you, and I, and I can't believe you got the car you got, I'd like to have that car. And your thoughts, the sins that you entertain in your thoughts, your thoughts are a reflection of where you're at in your Christian walk. Now, here's the thing about that, Gage. You're the only one that can see it. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians talks about, chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things come out of a person that have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, you know what, if you're mean, if you're foul, if you're not patient, uh, those things are the fruit of your life. That's a pretty good gauge of where you're at in your Christian walk. Kindness. Man, they're kind. They're gentle. They have self-control. They don't just run off and do things. Those things are a gauge of where you're at in your Christian walk. And then here's another one. Your desire for the things of God. Your desire for the things of God. Do you want to read your Bible? Ah, if I get around to it. Do you actually desire to spend time in prayer? Do you want to be around the people of Christ, the people of, of the church? Do you desire the things of God? And if you say, you know what, I don't really care if I read my Bible. I don't really, I don't really miss it if I do not spend time in prayer. You know what, I've missed three weeks of church. It doesn't bother me that much. Do you desire the things of God? That's a pretty good indication of where you're at in your Christian walk. Now, if your car is out of fuel, it's not going to run as if it would if it were full of fuel. That's how a car works. Guess what? That's how your Christian life works as well. You can get out and try to push it yourself. You're going to get tired. You're going to get frustrated. You're not going to go very far. All right, so here's the question. So what is our fuel as followers of Jesus Christ? What actually is our fuel? What's going to empower us to live as followers of Jesus Christ? Willpower. That's got to be it. Strength. It, surely it's just, I'm strong. I'm, I'm tougher than y'all. Character. I've got better character. You know what? You've got better character. I, I, you'll go far because you have great character. Resolve. You know what? I'm resolved. And I'm no, no turning back. That's what the song says. And I'm resolved 
Is it resolve that fuels us? Here's one I made up a word called do betterness. Do betterness. You ever met folks and they're like, well, you did that wrong, you did that wrong, you did that wrong. Yeah, I'm about to do better. I'm going to do better this time. Well, this didn't work and that didn't work and you messed that up. Yeah, but I'm about to do better. And they go through life and they're just they're doing do better. It's do betterness. What is the fuel that's going to impact you, that's going to run you, that's going to drive you as a follower of Jesus Christ? It's not going to be willpower. It's not going to be strength. It's not going to be your character. It's not going to be your do betterness, not your resolve. Listen very carefully. Our fuel as Christians is the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us. Now, that sounds crazy. I'm going to talk you through it. I'm going to explain it to you. Our fuel as followers of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us. Now, here's something I've been saying for about 10 years. You cannot live the Christian life apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. Your resolve is not good enough. Your character is not enough. You cannot live the Christian life apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. All right, our fuel is the Holy Spirit of God. Now, let me give you a couple pieces here, and then we'll move back to the lesson. First question is this. Who, so who is the Holy Spirit? If the fuel is the Holy Spirit of God, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is God himself. Uh, we believe in a triune God. There is one God, uh, but, but, but there are three individuals uh, in that Godhead, in that triune God. And so there's one God, uh, and, there, and there's three persons in our triune God. And so the Holy Spirit is God. He is not a piece of God. He is fully God. That's a hard thing to understand. He is fully God, and he is an individual. Now listen, the, the God the Father is not the same as God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is not the same as Jesus, the Son of God. Each one, they're individuals, and each one, they are fully God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, He is God. He's the fullness. He is God. Uh, he, is, he is part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. So that's the first thing. Who's the Holy Spirit? He's the Spirit of God. He is God. All right. Where is he? It sounds like a weird thing when I say he lives inside of you. And I don't, I don't know if you ever wake up and go, I don't, I don't feel much different today. I, you know, I don't feel, where would he live? And, and where is he at in me? Is he in my head? Is he in my heart? Uh, what does it mean that he lives in us? That's a weird thing. That's a kind of a, a weird truth. But it is the truth. God lives inside of us as followers of Jesus Christ. Let me read you a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God? The temple is where God put his presence. You are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, you know what? We ought to think about that when we live, when we go through life, the places we go, the things we do, God lives inside of us. That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? As believers, the Holy Spirit of God resides in us, lives in us. And so God lives inside of us. God, uh, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us, indwells us 
as Christians. All right, here's the next part. And that's, that's pretty uh, deep stuff, but this one maybe is a little bit deeper uh, with a little bit more misunderstanding, but I want to make it very plain to you as well. So when does he come to live inside of us? When does he come to live inside of us? Now, let me, let me say this. The Holy Spirit of God comes totally, listen to these words, fully when we trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When we are saved, when we understand who Christ is, we place our trust in him, and when we are saved, he totally, fully comes when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1.13 says this, when you heard the gospel, when you understood the gospel, when you believed in the gospel, you were filled, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, the, the image there, when, it, when a king would write a letter, they would fold the letter up and he would take his ring, they would dip it in wax, and they would seal it with his seal. That made it permanent. That made it the word of the king. That, that marked it as sealed. Well, what seals us, what marks us as saved, we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God when we're saved. Galatians chapter 3, two different places. When did you receive the Holy Spirit? We received by hearing, by faith. All right, so Holy Spirit is God. He lives inside of us as believers. We receive him when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, let me tell you one more big piece, one big deal before we move off of that. We receive the Holy Spirit of God when we're saved. That's what Scripture says. We receive the fullness, the totality, all of the Holy Spirit of God when we're saved. There are some folks, in fact, there are many folks that are teaching that you receive the Holy Spirit of God in installments or in additional events, or at other times. And they would say, you know what? You got saved over here, but you need to get filled with the Holy Spirit of God over here. Or you got part of the Holy Spirit of God in this event, but maybe at another event, a subsequent event, you'll receive more of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I want you to think about that logically for a second. Holy Spirit is an individual. How do you receive an individual? If I were to come to your house, if I were to say, you know, I'm going to go to Marco's house and we're going to eat ribs on Thursday night, and I went over there Thursday night, and I, and I came over to his house, knocked on the door, and a third of me came in, about this much came in, and you know what he would say, I, his legs aren't going to eat that much, they'd eat some, but they wouldn't eat a whole lot, and then later, about nine o'clock, this third, <laughs> knocked at the door, and there's another third. And then tomorrow morning, the, the other part was tied up somewhere else, and the other third came. You would say, not possible, that's absurd. You're an individual, and you know what? I receive you as an individual. It's saying the same absurdity to say we would receive the Holy Spirit, but we need some more of him later and some more of him at another time. We receive the totality of the Holy Spirit of God, not in subsequent events, not in baptism, not in some, some emotional service. We receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God when we trusted Jesus Christ. All right, so here's the, here's the picture of that. 
Holy Spirit is God. He lives in us as believers. We receive the fullness of him when we are saved, not in pieces. And so let me just say this. Here's the next point. So the tank is full. The tank is full. We're talking about what is our fuel, uh, what fuels us for the Christian life. It is the Holy Spirit of God, and the tank is, is full. So here's the next question. So if the tank is full, this is where it's going to get pretty interesting. How do we access the fuel? All right, let me, let me give you another example. We're going to go to Dallas. We're going to go to the steakhouse. We're going to go watch the Cowboys. we got some pretty cool stuff lined up. We're not going to push the car because I just went and filled it up. And I, I filled it up, and then some of it shot out because I, I filled it so full. The gauge shows it's f- full. It is full. We get in the car. We start the car. I tell all my friends, the tank is full. I show them the receipt. The tank is full. Hey, <laughs> the tank is full. But I never push the gas. So now we're sitting out there now, and it's getting, we've been out here 22 minutes, and the car's running, and he's not lying. The tank is full. And I start to say this. Maybe we should pray about it. Oh, Lord, if you'd have us get to Dallas, let this car go. I want to eat a steak. I want a ribeye. I want it cooked medium, but we need to get there. Let this car go. If I've ever done anything right, let this car go. If you'd like to see me in Dallas, let this car go. If my mom and dad served you faithfully, I've been a member of the church. Let my car go. I need to go. Lord, let my car go. I have faith. Let my car go. You know what would be smarter? Push the gas. Just push the gas. There's a lot of folks that the tank is full And they're sitting in the driveway saying, I've got faith. My grandparents were good. I haven't sinned this week. I'd like to go. And God's saying, why don't you just push the gas? Push the gas. Push the gas. How do you access the fuel that is in the tank? Now, at that point, you could still get out and push. It'll be easier to steer, but it's still not how the car is made. So then the question becomes, how do we access the fuel? All right, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ right now, not because you're good, but because of the grace of God, you're filled with the fuel. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. You're not having to do something to add to it. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. How do you access the fuel in the tank? And that comes to our verses we're going to look at tonight. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. I'm going to read the verses. How is our Christian walk empowered. I'm going to read the verses, and then we're going to go back and talk through the verses. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15, says this, Therefore, be careful how you walk, our Christian walks, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Man, are they. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. All right, we're going to see some very some big stuff in these verses, very practical things uh, for us to implement as Christians. How is our Christian walk empowered? All right, verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. All right, there's a couple things right there. Be careful, not as unwise men, but as wise. 
Be careful. Here's what that means in verse 15. You have to think. Be careful. You have to consider. You have to weigh. Do you know what? You're going to get tomorrow, and you need to weigh out how you're going to spend it. You need to weigh out what you're going to do with it. You need to be careful and be considerate. It says, be not as an unwise person, but as a wise person. That's talking about godly wisdom. You, you want to go through your day not in worldly wisdom, not in the lack of wisdom. You want to go through the day in godly wisdom. And so the first thing, all right, tank is full. How do we access it? You have to think. You have to be careful and considerate of what you're going to do. And you, and you have to be wise seeking godly wisdom as you move out. All right, verse 16. Making the most of your time. Because the days are evil. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. All right, verse 16 means this. We only get so many hours. And here's what I figured out. They are a lot faster than I thought. We, you only get so many hours. They're a lot faster than, than we thought. It says, make the most of the time. The days are evil. I don't even need to explain that. The days are evil. Make the most of your time. Now, there's two ways to make the most of your time. In the original language, that means maximize. There's two parts to making the most of your time. The first one is this. You have to be urgent. You have to be urgent, which means this. You have to get with it. You have to get with it. You're not guaranteed another day. You never know what a day will hold. We're not sure what happens in three months. We're not sure what happens in a year. We're not sure what happens tomorrow. You have to be urgent. A lot of us have lost the, the, the idea that time is urgent. Time is urgent. The first thing, if you're going to make the most of your time, you have to be urgent, which means you got to get with it. Second thing, you have to be diligent, which means, which means you have to do it. You have to do something about it. Maximizing your time, making the most of your time, you have to be urgent with that time, and you have to actually do something with that time. How many big plans are never carried out? Number one, because you weren't urgent, or number two, because you weren't diligent. You didn't actually do the thing. Here's the thing. All right, wouldn't you like to see something not normal? Wouldn't you like to walk in the will of God? Wouldn't you like to see the power of God in your life? Wouldn't you like to see tremendous things that you'd say, only God can do that? You're going to have to say, you know what? I understand time is urgent. I'm going to maximize that time, and I'm going to be diligent with that time. Are you ready for that? Or is normal okay? That's the question again. Are you ready for that? I wonder how many people in our day are saying, after high school, that's when I'll get busy. After COVID, I'll get busy. After next year, I've already written off 2021, after 2021, when this happens. You know what? We've got a few things. I got this, I got that. We got a, a new job. I got to get some money in this account. When this happens, here's the deal. If you're going to make the most of your time, you have to be urgent. You have to get with it. You have to be diligent and do something about it. Let me talk, I'm, I'm glad, I was telling somebody that I'm glad our youth are with us on Wednesday nights. Let me tell our, our young people something. I wish somebody had said 
that you can do big things right now. I wish that someone had said what you do is important right now. I wish that someone had said you don't have to wait till you're 20 or 30 or 40. I wish someone had said you can honor Christ right now. I wish someone had said there's a better way to live right now. I wish someone had said it matters right now. Our world says this, it doesn't matter right now. You're just young, you're doing your thing. Listen, it matters right now. You can honor Christ right now. You can do big things right now. You don't have to wait for another event to fall. Now that goes for all of us, but more I wish I was 15 when somebody said, you don't have to wait. God has plans for you right now. Be careful with your time. Be considerate with your time. Be urgent and diligent with your time. All right, verse 17. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here's here's a crazy thing about foolish. Sometimes people get upset if you say, well, that's a foolish thing, or or, that guy's a fool. Foolish is not ignorant. The verse doesn't say, do not be ignorant. It doesn't say, don't be dumb. An ignorant person, a dumb person doesn't know. They just don't know. They're ignorant, they're dumb. Foolish is to actually know, but to do something settling for less. That's what a foolish person is. A foolish person knows if I get in my car and go 60 and hit a tree, it's going to kill me and does it anyway. That's a foolish person. A dumb person goes, I don't know, I think I can knock this tree down, and they try. There's a difference in being ignorant and being foolish. It says, do not be foolish and settle for something less, knowing the difference. I wonder how many of us will get to a certain age and, and, and wonder, did you know we could have had that? Did you know God could have done this? Did you know my home could have looked different? Do you know there, there was this thing, but I was doing something else? And just pick it, your home, your marriage, your career, your relationships, your life. But I settled for something less. I settle for something less. It was comfortable, it was easy. I settle for something less. Don't be foolish. Don't settle for something less knowing there's something better. All right, verse 18, really the key verse. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, verse 18 says this, do not get drunk with wine. Do not be drunk. Um, I won't spend a lot of time there, but I'm gonna make two points. First thing is this, why do you think people get drunk? And I, and I think there's a couple of reasons. One of them is it makes us numb. And I look at a lot of folks that, man, it's, they're laughing and they're joking and they're drinking a lot, and it just makes them numb to the fact that, you know what, life's hard, life's tough. You know what, I'm not doing the right things, and it makes them numb. Second thing it does, it distracts. And it, instead of saying, here's the thing, you drink, and here's some other thing, it's a distraction. Now, we could, we could have a lot of a big discussion on that, um, There's a reason that being drunk seems attractive. And I think that's because people are hurting and people are looking for something to numb it. But here's the big thing of verse 18. We won't go there, but here's the big thing. The big thing about verse 18 is it is a picture of control. Do not be drunk with wine. That is a picture of control. Now, I want you to think about that. If a person drinks, guess what changes? And it happens in increments you're more under the control of alcohol. And you have a couple more drinks and you're more under the control of alcohol. Here's what changes when you drink. Your speech, your walk, your actions, your temper, 
Some get happy. Some get mad. Your responses. Those things change when you drink. And you say, well, I don't think they do. I don't know if they do. Well, then why do they get you out of the car and say, can you walk like this? Because you're walking differently. Why do they get you out of the car and say, can you say your ABCs? It changes how you think. It changes. Do you know most domestic violence cases, almost all of them are when somebody's been drinking? Do you know a lot of, a lot of, the, a lot of the crimes we ever done when somebody's drinking? It is a picture of who's in control. Guess what? As you drink more alcohol, you're losing less control, and the alcohol has a greater control. Your, your speech, your walk. Well, we are to be filled, and that's the, the thing that verse 18 is saying. We're to be under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. We're to be under the control, not of alcohol, but of the Holy Spirit of God. And guess what? When we're under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, guess what it influences? Your speech, your walk, your action, your temperament, your responses. And so here's the deal. The tank is full, and we have to access what is in the tank. And that is what is called the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. And here's the point of the whole lesson. This is how we access the fuel in the tank. The tank is full if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. How do you access the fuel that is in the tank? It is the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to show you a couple of things. We're, we're about to get to the end. The first thing is this. To be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and this is something that may make us uncomfortable, the duty is ours. Now, remember, it may, it may be not an easy for, thing, for us to swallow, but being filled with the Holy Spirit of, the God, of God, the duty's not on God. He's already filled us. The duty is on us. Now, we would like to say, well, God just filled them. Well, they, they have a greater feeling than I do. Well, I, that's why I can't do that. Or we like to sit in the car and say, if you would just do, if you would just this, and if you would that, and my faith is this. And, and we have put the burden on God. Listen, it's not his job. It is our job. It's not his duty. It is our duty. He's already given the total fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. All right, so how are we filled? How do we have the, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit of God? Here's what I want you to see. It is in the same way that we got saved. Boy, isn't it in good music? Nope. Isn't it in an emotional service? Nope. Isn't it with a renewed resolve? Nope. How are you filled with the Holy Spirit of God? It is in the same way that we got saved. Now, how do we get saved? Here's how we got saved. In faith, in trust, we turn from sin, which means to repent. We turn to Jesus. That means we trust him, we believe in him, and we walk with Jesus. The Bible says you profess him as Lord. And so how did you get saved? You turn from your sin. In faith, you turn to Jesus Christ, and you began to walk with Jesus Christ. That's what it means to, to, to be saved. By faith, you've trusted Jesus. To repent, you've turned from sin, you've turned to Christ, and you now walk with Jesus. Well, guess what? In the same way, we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We, in trust, in faith, turn from sin, turn to Jesus, and walk with Jesus. So, so I'm going to have to turn away from sin again. 
What if I'm back in sin? What if I like certain sin? What if I'm going to expect him to eat some and I'll take care of the other later? We, we, to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we turn from sin, repent, we turn to Christ, and we walk with Christ. I'm going to say this. We're going to, we're going to be all right on time. Some folks come and say, well, how do you deal with this sin? What about a habitual sin? What about a sin that's got a chemical whatever? And we act like there's a different formula for de defeating different sins. Do you know the formula for all sin? And let me just go ahead and just break it to you. You don't need a class. You don't need a book. You don't need any steps. The formula for beating sin is you turn to Christ, you turn away from sin, and you walk with Christ. The same way you got saved is the same way you walk as a saved person. Now, I want you to think about that. What is a walk? Now, that sounds pretty simple. What is a walk? A walk is a series of steps. Think about that. A walk is a series of steps. You take the same step and you put it with another step and you put them in, in successive order. You know what, I'm gonna take this step and then I'm gonna take that step and I'm gonna take that step and you start putting steps together and guess what you've got? Before long, you've got a walk. Listen to what the Bible says. Colossians chapter two, verse six. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So the same step that you got saved by turning away from sin, turning to Christ and walking with Christ, that's the way you got saved. That's the way you live as a saved person. And now putting successive steps together, you start to have a Christian walk. Now that process is called obedience. That process is called submitting to him giving yourself to him, all right? So you're setting the course. I'm following you. I'm walking with you, and I'm, I'm going to do what you command. I'm going to do it in obedience. That is that process. It's that same step put in, into the successive steps. You gave him your sin. You trusted him with your eternity. Here's the whole point. So now, if you don't want to be normal, if you want to see tremendous things, if you want God to bless your home and your, and your, and your high school and your, and your walk and your life and your job and your career, now you have to give him your life. You've given him your sin. You've trusted him with your eternity. This is actually giving him your life. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not us getting more of him, and that's what a whole lot of folks think. It is him getting more of us. Does that make sense? That's tremendous. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not us getting more of him. I need more. I need more. We have all of him already. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is him getting more of us. You can have my life. I'm going to give it to you. When we surrender our sin and believe, we receive the Holy Spirit. When we surrender our lives, this is what the book says, and believe, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. In the book, it's on page 11. You don't have to turn there a great definition of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says this, the filling of the Holy Spirit is the absolute, unqualified surrender of our life to God to do His will instead of ours. The filling of the Holy Spirit is the absolute, unqualified surrender of our life to God to do His will instead of ours. Let me hit two words. Absolute means total. It is the absolute, I'm giving you all of it, I'm giving you my life, it is unqualified. Now, I think that's an awesome word. 
It means I'm not going to weigh, I'm not going to consider, and I'm not going to bargain. These boxes, we've had these up here. This is from the first week. Um, my entertainment in my life. It's not to come and say, if I give him this, I get that. If I keep it, I get this. If I give you this, I'll have it back on Saturday. If I give it to you on Sunday, can I get it on this day? It is not bargaining. And this go, this is going to cost me two friends. This is going to gain me four friends. This is going to be, it's not considering. It's not weighing. It's not balancing. It's not making deals. Unqualified, absolute unqualified means this. Oh, you tell me that's how I live as a Christian? Let's do it. Well, this is how you handle your finances? I don't need to weigh it out. Let's do it. This is how you live as a married person? I don't need to weigh it out. Let's do it. That is unqualified. Well, what if I give you my business, but I'm going to keep my marriage? Unqualified means he calls for it. You do it. It is absolute. It's unqualified. Listen to what Galatians 2.20 says. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, I want to talk about that for just a second. Do you know where we took our sin? To the cross. Do you know where we died to self? At the cross. Same transaction. I have died to self at the cross of Calvary with Christ, in Christ. I've died to sin at the cross of Calvary, in Christ, and through Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, the life I'm living now in these days, in my skin, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, what that means is if I'm living in faith in my skin, it doesn't mean I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and now I'm living in my skin. It means I'm living in the faith that saved me so my faith in Christ changes my language, changes my response, changes how I act, changes how I treat others. I'm living in the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. What that means is our faith is not where we're going to heaven and it's set aside our faith consumes our life. Our faith takes over our life. And that is when we are filled with the fuel that's in the tank, the Holy Spirit of God. Let me look at that verse one more time, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled, but be filled with the Spirit. Filled there is in the continual tense, which means... Be filled, be filled, be filled. Here's the thing. Yesterday's filling is never enough. If I filled up my car, and we're taking that same trip to Dallas, but I did it last week, and I've already made two trips to Amarillo, and you get in the car and said, you get gas? Because the last time we had to push. And I say, yeah, but I, I filled up last week. Yesterday's filling is not going to help today's trip. It is a continual process. It is a continual filling. Now, here's the crazy thing about this word. Be filled is in the passive tense, passive. Now, what that means is be filled is not what we're going to do. It's what we're going to allow. How interesting that God even has the perfect tense. Of course, he would. It's not something we're going to do. It's something we're going to allow. I'm going to be filled. Now, here's, here's the huge part of the lesson. We're almost done. How am I filled? How am I going to be filled? It's when I submit or give over to him. Now, what that means is what I give over to him, he will fill. It's a constant process. 
what I give over to him, he will fill. So I want to be filled. It has to be the constant process, but I have to give over to him what he is going to fill. Now, here's a, here's a very smart statement. The limit of your filling, how much you're filled, is the limit of your surrender. Well, I'm not that filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I don't see powerful things like that. I don't know what a victorious life even means. Well, how much are you submitting? Have you given everything over? Or are you still saying, I'm going to keep this thing, and I'm going to keep thing, that thing and this thing? Here's the question of the lesson. So are you yielding to him? We can come and talk about these verses. You can get a good understanding of these verses. Not one thing will change until you say, I understand who he is. I understand he's loving and gracious and kind. I understand he's infinite in wisdom. And I'm going to give him in trust all of the areas of my life. When are your finances going to get better? When you give them to him. When's your marriage going to get better? When you give it to him. When's your relationships going to get better? When you give it to him. When's your future going to change? When you give it to him. The limit of your feeling is the limit of your surrender. Here, here's a radical, radical thing. He will feel what you'll give to him. I got these boxes back out, and I think, how many times do we say, he can have a few things, and look, look how much better this is when I let him take control there. And look how much better this is when I let him control, take control there. But how many of us say, you know what, but not this, not this, this is mine. What's this one? Business, no way, he doesn't know anything about business. He's not gonna help me with business. That's not his deal, he's, he's supposed to get me into heaven. I'm gonna keep this. And we start spacing things out. Here's the thing, what we will submit to him, he will fill. What we will give to him, he will fill. How ridiculous that we would decide I'm gonna keep something for me. I'm gonna keep something and I'm gonna set the course. The limit of our feeling is the limit of our surrender. Here's the, here's the thing. Give him those areas. You know what he'll do? He'll restore them, he'll redeem them, he'll forgive where we've messed them up, he'll make them new, he'll, he'll show us the best way to live, the best way to operate according to his word, and you know what will come? There'll be joy and there'll be peace and there'll, there'll be a newness all because we've given those things to him. So here's my question, and then we're done. So how's it going for you? What have you held on to? You know, I know what you've said about marriage, but I don't, I don't really care. You know what? I, I know what you say about my language. I don't really care. So how is it going for you? And maybe the point of tonight is that to get to the point to say, you know what, you can have it. You want that, you can have it. Business, you can have it. Relationships, you can have it. Future, it's yours. Language, you got it. Relationships, you got them. Give them all to him. You know what, where we surrender it, he will fill it. What a tremendous thing that is. What a tremendous, gracious God we have. Glad you're here. I'm gonna ask if you'll stay in. I'll lead us in a word of prayer, and then we're gonna be dismissed. Glad you were here tonight. If I were you, I'd be back next week and I'd bring somebody with us. We'll have a great time. Let's go to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you tell us in your word, that you lead us in your word, that we are secure in you, that when we trust you, we're saved. Not of any work that we would do, but in your grace and your power. We're thankful that you keep us saved, that you seal us with the Holy Spirit of promise, that we're not put on a treadmill to see how it works out, but that you seal us. 
I'm thankful, Lord, that you give us the fuel, the Holy Spirit of God, that we could live like you, that we could bring honor to you, that we could witness your name, that we would be lives that would point to you. I'm thankful that you tell us in your word that you will bless what we will submit. And maybe tonight the fruit of this, this message is for, for parents here, for, for students here, for grandparents here, for, for individuals here to go home and say, Lord, I'm tired of what I've done with these things. And I'm sorry for the, the mess that I've made in these areas. And the best I know how, I'm gonna give them to you. I'm gonna give them all to you. And I ask that you take them and you, you fix them, you restore them. You use them and you're known through them. Lord, I'm thankful that you're gracious. Thankful that you're forgiving. Thankful that you're powerful. Lord, I pray for the folks here tonight. I pray for our nation. As we move into a new time, I pray for uh, a church to look to you. I pray for students to stand when the whole world wants to sit down. I pray for, for parents that would put you in their homes. And I pray that in every bit of it that you're known and that you're glorified. Lord, we love you, we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here. You're dismissed.